I'm, I'm always fascinated by the evolution of voices and uh, particularly Heldon tenor voices, heroic tenor voices, mm-hmm. which very often come quite late in life. Um, your story goes back sort of 20, 21 years or so when you mm-hmm. first sang The Rape of Lucretia. Tarquinius, I presume. No, 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 no. It was male chorus, chorus, was it? Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, but what was what was the story prior to that? I mean, was singing always on the radar? Well, I always sang in the church choir. I mean, at one time, me and my father were the church choir. Uh, <laughs> my mother was the organist. Um, a small parish church in a, um, a mining village in County Durham, mm-hmm. uh, Chilton. And, uh, I can catch the accent still. I, I mean, I never thought of opera as a, as a... Okay, there was music in the family. I mean, I played, played piano from the age of five. My mother was the organist for 44 years. My father had a beautiful bass baritone voice. Mm. Totally natural. Mm. His brother, who I never met, because uh, he died in a mining accident when he was 23, 24, he apparently had a beautiful bass voice. My grandfather on my father's side was a lyric tenor. So, good so I'm genes. kind of good yeah, genes. I'm yeah. kind of, I'm kind of a, a curious mix because some people call me a baritenor, um, uh, as you just did, Heldon tenor, which I, I don't like that term because I did upset a couple of other Heldon tenors one day. Um, there was nine of us in the Deutsche Berlin in the canteen, going back to Rainer Goldberg, Thomas Moser. Myself, Gosh. a good two and a half generations, mm. probably, or mm. three generations of Siegfrieds and Tristans. And somebody said, oh, um, you won't have met Ian. He's another one of us held in tenors. I said, no, 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 I'm a dramatic tenor. And he said, what's the difference? I said, a dramatic tenor is a held in tenor with a top. <laughs> Because it is for, for people that don't know about these things. I mean, it it, it is the the girth of the voice. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. You know, yeah, in, yeah. and so yeah. those, as you mentioned, those baritonal baritonal qualities that are so yeah. important for those yeah. roles. The genetics interests me because, you know, I am a curious mix of both my father and grandfather. Um, top C's are not a problem, um, but I can equally go down as far as I really need to and want to. In fact, so. But also, a lot of it's down to the, the training. Laura Sarti in London, um, and uh, Carlo Cosuto is my main teacher, mm. uh, late in life, when he, just before he died, in fact. Gosh, now he, he was, was an Otello, wasn't oh, he? Oh, he was incredible. When yeah. we come to yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. incredible. Yeah. Yeah. But he was, um, sessions with him were phenomenal, because we hardly ever spoke. I'd just be singing, and he'd say, no, 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 try this, and then he'd just sing. And I knew immediately what he wanted, mm. and I could just do it. And he actually said that the reason why he wanted to work with me, because he instigated the connection, was because when he first heard me sing, he heard himself 30 years before. Yeah. And he said, I don't understand why, because I'm short and fat, you're tall and slim. He said, how do we have the same voice? Yeah. So it was quite intriguing. Yeah. But of course, voices develop different ways. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you alluded to the, the male chorus. That was the first, the first job I did uh, with Howard Burrell. I then did Cozy and Bohem on the same tour. And when I sang Cozy, I felt really tight and tense and, you know, as if a certain part of my anatomy was in my throat. And when I sang the Bohem, I felt as free as a bird. Ah. And was I thought... that the big clue? Yeah. Yeah. And Scottish opera, 
Beckham, but it, it seemed to me that you went off to Italy to develop what they call the spinto. I just wanted to to learn good technique. You know, before I became a singer, I, I trained as a furniture designer, cabinet maker. So everything's got a technique attached to it. I always felt that technique was something that was very important. And in fact, I see singers falling by the wayside because they haven't worked hard enough in the technique or thought hard about it. They've done too much at the same time mm. and too many performances. And, yeah. Well, it's you know, a, a, your fach. Your voice type is a treacherous one for if, if it's not handled properly. Oh, yeah. Because uh, some of the roles are, are absolute killers. Um, your debut CD and demonstrate you know, the range and versatility of what mm. you sing. For me is your ability to find the intimacy in these pieces um, and you appear to have the heft naturally but you're always looking for the sweetness I mean that's mm. the impression one gets hearing that yeah. selection of arias yeah is I, I mean um, I mean one recording I always carry around with me is the, the Verdi Requiem uh, by Carlo Cosuta and also his, his Otello because when um, if I ever think oh god that particular bit, what do I need to do with that? I'll just put him on and listen to him while I'm thinking about it. And usually the the answer just suddenly it's like a light going on. And I just know exactly what to do. And I've, I've always believed that, you know, if the music says pianissimo, do pianissimo. It might be difficult. So you have to work at it and find the way of doing it. Per perfect case in point is the uh, Goethe Demerung I'm doing at the moment in Berlin and we, we shortly start uh, in La Scala with the same production. Um, the Waldvögel um, parts, it's written pianissimo and I do it pianissimo, which hmm. is unusual for somebody with hmm. a big voice. Hmm. Um, and I said to Daniel, well, you know, is that the kind of colour we want? And, and he said, God, yeah. Um, and his assistant said, but maybe in the theatre it might be too light. And Daniel said, if it's if we can't hear him, I have to take the orchestra down because mm. that's what Wagner mm. wanted. Yeah, proper and, conductor. Yeah, and and the thing is, I mean, I was very lucky, really. Uh, the way I, I did my first Tristan with 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 Daniel was yeah, no, phenomenal. Let's let's you let's know. talk about this. This was this was two thousand seven. Yes, um, and you know it was at La Scala. Mm -hmm. um, in a Patricero production, mm -hmm. I mean, talk about high visibility debut in the role. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all the elements were high vis visibility. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and the opening of the season, had of course. Had um, he presumably seen you, or did he just audition you? Or? No, it was really weird how it came about, because um, it was one of those career-defining moments. I mean, I have to say, at first, I'd been offered Tristan, I think, eight times, hmm. and I always turned it down just knowing that people said it's a killer role. Stay away from it for as long as you can. It's a huge learn as well. Oh, the God, yeah. volume of text. Well, it? yes. And, um, and of course it demands so much from you physically, emotionally, intellectually and, and vocally. I was due to go to La Scala to do Yenufa in the April of 2007. 
And about a week or two before I was due to go, um, the casting director rang me direct at home and he said, look, we want you to go to sing to Daniel Barenboim in Berlin. We want you to sing Tristan. And I just laughed. I said, you're choking. <laughs> so I said, oh, well, you know, I've got to go and sing to Daniel Barenboim. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. this is important. Yeah. So um, later that week I flew... Uh, I was supposed to have a working session. I turned up with Tannhäuser, a pencil, a rubber, in jeans and a T-shirt, ready to work. And they told me, oh, it's not a working session, it's an audition. I said, well, I'm sorry, but, you know, I'm going home. I said, I'm not being difficult or awkward, but I haven't prepared for an audition. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I would have brought Otello, Peak Dam. I would have brought things that I've done on stage a number of times. I would have worn a suit. So anyway, they apologised for the mix-up and the head of music went away and got a score from his house of Peak Dam and so I sang some Russian first. And, and then um, we started on the, the, the Tannhäuser. We, I did most of the role, actually. Um, and, uh, and Daniel said, right, thank you. Um, when do you start at La Scala? And I think it was 10 days' time or something. And he said, when you get there... I'll have told them sections I want you to work on, and then in a few weeks I'll come and work with you in La Scala. I said, okay, great. So I went to La Scala, and the Stefan Braunschweig stage director had been told, okay, look, don't have him hanging around. When you've finished using him, you don't need him, he goes straight in another room to work with the head of music on mm-hmm. Tristan. Yeah. So we had the three sections that we had to work on. I'd be rehearsing the, the Yenufa in Czech, and then two minutes later, I was head buried in the Tristan score in the next room. And about, oh, I suppose, three or four weeks later, we were in performance. And Lascala said, we want you to work with Daniel immediately after a performance. Mm-hmm. I did the performance, and then I was waiting in my dressing room, and I said, oh, we'd like you to come to the stage. Daniel wants to hear you on stage. There was a mezzo there who was a friend of a friend of a friend who was auditioning, and Peter Bronda was there. Mm-hmm. Apparently, this, this mezzo said there was this, this arrogant English tenor walked out on stage in jeans and a T-shirt at La Scala with the music, stuck his hands in his pocket and sang Isolde Comte, Isolde Art, and Daniel said, right, thank you. And to somebody who didn't know what was going on, it just looked really weird. Yes. And I came off stage and Peter Bronda said, that's got to be the shortest audition in history. I said, no, it's not an audition. I've got to go and work with him now for yeah. an hour yeah. or so, or yeah. however long it takes, you know. So we went into the, uh, the chorus room, and there was all the management team of La Scala there in a row. James Vaughan, the head of music, an Irishman who's a German specialist who had been coaching me. He was playing. Daniel was conducting me and coaching me. After 45 minutes or so, he said, right, to the management, he said, this is my new Tristan. And then he said to me, okay, what work have you got coming up? So I said, well, as I said. And he said, well, you're going to have to cancel because a good tenor takes a year to learn Tristan. You've got five months. Because I didn't even realise it, it was for the opening of the next season. Mm. And I had to stay in Milan. And the day after I finished Yenufa, we started on the Tristan. And it was between five and six to ten hours a day, six days a week, Nothing but Tristan. James Vaughan, who's a fluent German speaker, coaching me. They brought in a native German speaker, who was also a singer, to work on the, the text with me. Mm. Valtraud Meyer and myself were flown off to Aix-en-Provence for a week to work with Chereau 
on the text of Act Two duet. That was it. Six hours a day for five days discussing this torturous text. <laughs> um, and the thing that taught me a lot was Valtraud at that stage. I mean, she's one of the greatest Wagnerians ever. Mm. There were a number of times when she was sitting there and she said, you know, I've never thought of that. I never thought of it like that. I like it. And then we'd discuss it more. Mm. We did some improvisation with him. No, there was one which was really quite mind-bending. Um, he said, OK, you're a very successful guy, businessman, whatever. You've lost everything. You're too ashamed to go and see your wife. You're living under a, under a bridge in a box. And there was a table. That's all we had, a, a mm. table. Mm. And I had a coat on. And I was to lie under the table. And we weren't to speak to each other. It was only to do with emotions and using emotion. Mm. And Valtraud was told, you've lost the house, you've lost the car, everything's gone, he hasn't come, he hasn't come home, find him. And I don't really remember, because we'd done a bit of work before that, but I, I don't really remember exactly what happened, except that practically everybody in the room was crying after about 20 minutes. It was really an incredible experience. Well, that's why Scherer is such a great director, oh, you see. He's I mean, stunning. He, he finds ways to yeah. the emotional truth of these things. And if you look at, at doing my first Tristan with Baron Boyne and Chirot... I know. notoriously tough house to play mm. so I mean did that I mean you seem a very easygoing chap mm. did that get to you at all the pressure you were under no approaching the beginning of the season no because first off I didn't really appreciate what the beginning of the season in La Scala means <laughs> until it was pretty well over <laughs> I was so focused on what I had to do I remember being really shocked when um, they said oh we've, we've got a press conference for you and Val Shroud. And when I got there, it was the world's press. Hmm. You were confronted with maybe 50 journalists, <laughs> cameras clicking everywhere. I thought, it's bloody like Hollywood. Apart from anything else, it's, it was so unusual to open the season with a German opera, because hmm. La Scala always yeah. opens with an Italian opera. Oh, yeah. The pacing of that role is, is crucial. And, um, you know, there's always the delirium of the third act yeah, yeah. looming, isn't there? Yeah. Were you conscious of having to pace yourself or...? <laughs> The amount of work I'd done, that beast was in my body before I got anywhere near mm. rehearsals. Okay, it's changed a lot since then. It's developed in a number of ways. It was my third time singing at La Scala, so I wasn't daunted by mm. that. And the fact that it was seen by millions on TV and <laughs> yeah. and Somebody um, told me that five minutes before I went on stage. Oh. There's about 10 million people watching this. I said, <laughs> thank you for that. Now go away. Or words to that effect. Yes. Um, <laughs> We also have to understand, to put all this into context, that Tristan's don't go on trees, and uh, no. it's a rare beast that sings the role anyway. Yeah. <laughs> 
Placido Domingo was plainly one of those who either saw you or heard of your success in the mm -hmm. role and offered you an American debut in, in yeah. his signature role, I mean, Otello. Otello. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. that well, is another huge compliment. Yeah, it is, and, and one that I'm very grateful for. I mean, he, it wasn't that he heard of me or anything. He actually shared, we, we shared Peak Dam together in Madrid, uh -huh. and he very much liked what I did and started asking me questions and what did I think about this scene and why was I doing it like that and what was my... And he was, I was very impressed that here was a great artist, a great, you know, a phenomenon, basically, wanting to know what I was thinking at certain times. Mm. And I said, oh, I like that. Mm. And then learning. And I think that's... That's, that's really why he's a great artist. Yeah. And in fact, it, the Otello was my debut in America, but it was supposed to be Fliegende Hollander because he'd hired me to do Fliegende Hollander and then he put Otello in, and it, it just happened that it came before the Fleeing Dollander. So for about 12 days, I had to fly coast to coast, singing a performance of Otello and then rehearsing Fleeing Dollander in Washington, <laughs> D.C., and then back to L.A. But, uh, and that's a mark of the man as well, the fact that, you know, he could do that for 30-odd years. Was advice forthcoming from the great man when, when you sang <laughs> Otello? Um, because yeah. it's, it, it really is his signature role. I've never seen yeah. anyone do it better yeah, yeah. than him. He, he came, he flew in from Hong Kong to watch a matinee. He said some very nice complimentary things. Mm. He said, it's one thing that you need to think more of. And I said, yep, yeah, tell me. He said, be more of a showman with the role. It's a great note, actually. Yeah. There's, and, you know, it, there's it's... There's a lot behind that comment. There's a lot behind it. Essentially, if the psychology of the characters and the interactions between the characters are working, then it doesn't really matter what the production is like. I can work with that, mm. and I can draw things out of myself to use experience. And to you use enjoy emotion. that process. And I enjoy that process, <clears throat> which is why I don't fly around doing three days of rehearsals here and two performances, yeah. and then flitting off somewhere else. I like to get into the into the the what the what the role actually entails, what it what it means. Daniel. To surmise, I mean, he said to me one day, and he held up the Tristan score and he said, what you need to know is between those two covers. Hmm. Anything else is a bonus, but be meticulous with what's between those covers. Mm -hmm. So it's amazing how much of Wagner is written piano. I mean, it's relative, I know, because you've got the size of the orchestra. And, and dynamics should be more to do with breadth of sound rather than volume. But... And of course, we've we've sort of kind of seen over well, I don't know how many years, fifty years maybe that, you know, there's this tendency to bark and to shout and and sort of drive through the mm. Wagner. Mm. And so, if you ask anybody who doesn't know much about music, say, what do you think of Wagner? Oh, it's loud and long. Yeah, the long yeah. is is correct, but the loud isn't necessarily no, correct, because and it shouldn't be. Very cleverly written, very very often. clever. So the orchestra is. This is a guy who, who was in, influenced by Bellini. Yeah. There were there were voices. There were some big voices around, but not very many. Mm. Um, and it was very much, you know, sort of bel canto, not can belto, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's why, like I say, with this, the Goethe Demerung, the, 
the Waldvogel, it's written pianissimo, he actually has an instruction that he wrote about singing Italian forward, mm-hmm. um, because he's, he's basically kind of describing head voice or voix mix. Yes, and which you use and very I, effectively. And I can I've use, got, yes. well, thank you. Yes. Yeah. I can imagine Barenboim, the sort of man he is, finding you a wonderfully receptive person to work with, because he loves to to teach, doesn't he? He loves to, because he's had so much experience. I mean, just hearing the experience talk to an of the guy is, is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's a great wit. Yeah, uh, he's a he's, great man. Yeah, I mean, I said to him in, the, in this go to Demerol, I said, look, this particular phrase here, I like to do that long bit, the, the Schoen and Brunhilde's arm, at the end, just before I'm stabbed. I said, I like to do that without a breath, and to go from Brunhilde's arm not have to take a breath before arm. And it's a very long bit. Mm. I said, there's a there's a, a comma there and there's a, a rest there. Could you just stretch those two for me? And he said, yes, it's amazing what a good cigar can do. <laughs> That's very nice. And, and when I'm at that point of the opera, I just glance at him and he's got big gestures showing me exactly how much time he's giving me and then we move on. Beautiful to work Wonderful. with. Really a joy. Um, well, this summer... Um, he brings the Berlin Staatsoper to the proms mm-hmm. with the ring, mm-hmm. Wagner's ring. Now, that's what I call a bicentennial splash. <laughs> You're giving your Siegfried in Gotterdämmerung, yep. but not in Siegfried. I mean, what's no. the state of play there? Are you planning to sing it, the Siegfried Siegfried? Thing? Yes. I mean, I've, I've studied it. I'm in the process of memorising it now. I've sung it through twice in two days in voice. There are bits which are difficult, but not insurmountable, if you use your brain. Where are the most difficult um, bits? The Act 1 forging sequence? Oh, yeah. It's, like kind of, it's kind of like rubbing your head and patting your belly at the same time, or, yeah. the, or the reverse. I mean, I've done 50 Tristans now. The 50th was before Christmas in Venice. Amazing. But that was actually done in three and a half years, because I took 18 months without singing Tristan in order to work on the Siegfrieds. But funnily enough, the more I've worked on the Goethe Demerung, this is my third production now of the Goethe Goethe Demerung, the more it feels like Tristan to me. When I did um, the Otello, which was very interesting, was immediately after the Tristan. Verdi, when he heard that, Wagner's music, he just stopped writing opera for two years. And then he wrote Otello. And it's really interesting because when you've done the Otello after the Tristan, you see the influences. Hmm. It's obvious. And funnily enough, coincidentally, they both ended up almost creating a different kind of tenor <coughs> from what their, their previous works had been. No, with the Siegfried Siegfried, I was torn until about a week and a half ago, only because I didn't want to sing, say, Siegfried on a Thursday night and Goethe Demmering on a Saturday night. And a very That's w- the, the rub, isn't yeah. it? And a very well-known coach in, in Berlin I've been working with said, if you say you want two days, they'll do two days. Yes. Scarce as hen's teeth, yeah. Siegfrieds. Uh, and in fact, recently I've been told that with my kind of bronzed, was the word used, voice, that would be really interesting to hear as Siegfried. Mm-hmm. Great. Right. <laughs>